0: And we're going to go to two different passages of Scripture, okay? And the first one we're going to start at is in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And so keep your finger there, but then we'll end up, we'll finish up in Philippians chapter 1. All right, so start out in John chapter 12 with me. And we're going to be in verses 24 through 26 in just a moment. And then we'll flip over to Philippians chapter 1. So if you want to find both of those, that'll be good. And we'll look at this this evening here in just a moment. But as many of you know, we started looking on Sunday evenings into a topical series of study, if you will, of things that just does not make sense. And in reference to this, we're looking more along the lines of different portions of Scripture or principles we might find in the Word of God. That uh, when you read them, it causes you to pause for a moment and scratch your head and say, Huh? Do what? What did I just read again? And you read it over and over and still scratch your head, and, well, you just go on. Uh, there are some things we can read in the Word of God that make you do that a little bit. Even Peter uh, wrote when he, in his epistle, uh, he said there are some things that are hard to be understood, of course, in reference to the Apostle Paul and his writings. So it is sometimes hard, some things can be hard to be understood, and uh, things don't make sense in, in the Word of God. But some of those that may not make sense... Such examples are things like these. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, I don't know about you, but loving people, especially the ones that hate me, hate me or hate you, that want to do you harm or ones that want to persecute you, Loving them, loving your enemies is, well, quite frankly, is very hard. And it wouldn't make, in our natural mind, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But the Bible's clear on the matter. To pray for your enemies. To pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. May not make sense. But as you study it, it makes perfect sense. Another one would be like this in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, when the Bible says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, our natural mind, this does not make sense because what we want to do uh, when someone, listen, if somebody comes and punches you in the face, what do you want to do back? You want to punch them in the face. That's right. You want to give them the old one-two, the old two-piece in the biscuit. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Anybody know what the two-piece and the biscuit is, right? You say yes, down at Bojangles. No, 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 that's something different. Okay, <laughs> two pieces of biscuits, a biscuit left for right, and a kick. So, uh, but anyway, uh, but that's what you want to do. If somebody's going to punch you, you want to punch them back. But the Bible's clear: be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The Bible's clear on that. But it's these types of phrases and principles that. They may not make a lot of sense, at least on the onset, but as you study them and as you read them and as you apply them and as you uh, interpret Scripture with Scripture, they, they make more sense in the end, and sometimes even perfect sense. But thus far we've seen in our series on this topical study, we've considered this, we've considered your trials a joy. Now again, in our natural mind, does it make sense? But when you understand that God has a greater purpose For different difficulties and trials of life to grow you, to mature you, and even draw you closer to Jesus. It's in that moment when you know you're going through it, that God has a bigger plan, and all these things work for your good. It's in that moment then when you realize that, that you can rejoice, even in the midst of trials, knowing they're going to be for your good. And we've considered that one. we considered also this one, that you ought rather to forgive. Again, Paul speaking to the Corinthian, uh, Corinthian church, the carnal church there in Corinth. Uh, after someone in the church had done evil and done wrong, and they, were not, they, they put him out, not willing to forgive, he said, listen, you ought rather to forgive. And sometimes in our natural mind, again, it doesn't make sense to forgive. Rather, we would rather get revenge. But revenge is not sweet. Actually, it's quite bitter. But you know what sweet is? Forgiveness. Is sweet. So you ought rather to forgive. And then we've seen this one. <clears throat> Last time, we saw this one. We saw the greatest of you as servant. And sometimes in our mind we think if we are to lead, if we're going to be the boss, and that does not mean we are to serve whatsoever, but Jesus gives us a great example of leading by serving. And that's what we all should be doing serving the Lord, serving one another, and that's true leadership. Servant leader. And there's no greater, there's no greater servant than that Jesus Christ himself. And if he was to come and serve to be ministered or to minister, not to be ministered unto, then you and I too should follow that example to serve one another. All right, for this evening, let's consider another one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's this one. Death brings life. Death brings life. Now, in our natural mind, again, this phrase does not make a whole lot of sense of death bringing life. Because when you think of death, I doubt many of you would think at least first of life. You wouldn't think that normally. You wouldn't normally think of life. Usually death means loss. And it can give off the, a, a finality, if you will. A death usually means some kind of separation. It can be even associated with with death of a a family member or whatever. But usually when you think of death, it's in a negative light or a negative way. And you never would think it brings some sort of life. But listen, in our text, when we read here, Jesus is speaking of a different kind of death. And this is a death that actually will give, produce life. Look at it with me, John chapter 12. In verse number 24, all right? John chapter 12, verse 24, and we'll read down through verse, uh, verse 26. Actually, start in verse 23. And Jesus answered him, saying, The hour is come, the Son of Man shall be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, of course, in the main context of this, Jesus is is portraying, talking about his death on the cross of Calvary. But he's also talking about another death here as well, I believe. And the death that Jesus is referencing here as he's talking to his, to his disciples. It's not necessarily a physical death as he's talking to them, but rather it's a death of this. Listen, it's a death to self. Now, again, this will be the opposite of what our world teaches. This is a different view of the world. Obviously, a biblical worldview is very much different from a secular worldview. We know that. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence whatsoever. But it's much different. The world will not teach that today. Rather, the world will teach this. It wouldn't teach you to die to self. It will tell you to build yourself up. The world will teach you to serve yourself. It's all about you. It's all about self-focus. It's all about self-healing. It's all about self-trust. It's all about self-whatever. You fill in the blank. You get what I'm trying to say. We live in this kind of world, this kind of society, where it's all about these three people. You ready? Me, myself, and I. (laughs) That's what it's all about. It's all about those three people. In the world in which we live, that's what it's all about about and I'm going to prove that fact with one word. And some of you may chuckle. But as soon as I say this word you'll get it. All right? Here it is. Here's the word. We live in a selfie world, all right? We really do. We really do live in a selfie selfie world. How many of you know what exactly I'm talking about? How many of you know actually have you taken selfies? You've taken them. Raise your hand be honest you're in church, don't lie. All right, good. Many have already taken several selfies, and sometimes maybe you take them all the time. I don't know. But we know what we're talking about when we talk about selfies and having taken them even ourselves. But just in case you don't know what a selfie is, a selfie is simply a self-portrait. But understand with this self-portrait, it's not for the individual's validation, but usually it is to take a selfie, to post it to some kind of social media in order to get validation from others. Meaning this. The more clicks you get, the more thumbs up you get, the more likes you get, the more hearts you get, the more followers you get, the more subscribers you get, blah, 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 goes on and on. It is then you get more worth for yourself. Again, it's all about me, myself, and I. And so kids, teens, and adults alike are always searching for that next perfect selfie because it's about them. Now, before you get the wrong idea, I'm not saying selfies are sinful, okay? I'm not saying that. Uh, my family, we take them from time to time, but I'm not saying they're, they're selfie, okay? So please don't leave here thinking that the pastor said, I'm a sinner because I've taken selfies. That's not what I'm saying, all right? That's not what that means. But I am simply saying this, that the attitude, sometimes the attitude behind them about, or behind some people at least, has become such a normal part of life that it can be proved, it can prove the self-indulgence their society lives in and has. And yes, sadly, not just society, but that can be believers as well. And I want to point out, just for clarification as well, not every desire, not every personal pursuit is wrong, okay? Not everything like that is wrong. I'm not saying that either. And death to self, listen, does not mean it's not a blanket denial of all of those personal pursuits. I'm not saying that either. But understand in our natural mind, our, our bend is to be self focused. In our natural fallen flesh, it's all, again, it's all about these three people, me, myself, and I. If we live a life, especially as believers, if we live a life that's all about me, myself, and I, we will end up living a restless and even endless pursuit of life. And in that, you'll, you'll never find anything as fully satisfying, especially for the believer. Because that's not real living. So what is real living? Well, here it is. Death is real living. And death to self is real living. Now, if there was ever a man who knew what it meant to die to self, and of course live for Jesus, it would be the great apostle Paul. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what he said. I die daily. Again, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die his gain. Paul was just simply letting them know by his own example the way to truly live. To truly live is going to come when you die to self and live for Jesus. When it's about Christ and not ourselves. We die daily. So I want to turn to Philippians chapter 1 now and look further into this type of living, especially as we look at the apostle himself, the apostle apostle Paul. So turn with me, Philippians chapter 1, all right? Philippians chapter 1, and we'll look at verse number 19 is where we'll start, okay? Philippians chapter 1, we'll start in verse number 19. We'll go down through verse 26 and see a few elements of Paul's life, especially as it came to dying to self and living for Jesus. Look at it with me, verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and supply the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh this is the fruit of my labor yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So, from this man and from this life of Paul, let's see what, what dying to self and living for Jesus. Really looks like at least some evidences of, of this fact, all right? Let me ask you a question this, this evening. Let me ask you something. What do you really enjoy in life? Uh, what makes you tick? As one farmer would say, what really cranks your tractor? <laughs> or as the fat kid in me would say, what really butters your biscuits? All right? uh, what is it that makes you tick? What is it that you really, really enjoy? doing it brings joy to your life what is it what is it that makes you extremely happy i've seen t-shirts and other things i've seen bumper stickers and whatever i've seen different slogans like this i've seen where people put on their shirt and it says football is life now i like football i enjoyed it highly and when i played it and i enjoy watching it especially college football high school football i enjoy that game it's fun it's fun i enjoy it but I can't say that it's life, but for some folks it is. Some people would say basketball is life. Some would say that baseball is life. Some may say that cheerleading is life, or gymnastics is life, or volleyball is life, or you fill in the blank. Many times we'll look at these slogans and phrases, and what they're simply saying uh, with these slogans and phrases about different sports or different whatever, they're simply saying this, that is something that they live for. That is something that they love and something they live for. But as I read this portion of scripture, we're really seeing what, see what Paul really lives for and what brings life to him. Again, look at it in verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I will not. Sorry, nope, verse 21. That's where I meant to look at. Verse 21. <clears throat> for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This was really his life. This is what he really enjoyed. This is what made him tick. It was Jesus. And to live a life for Christ, what you're going to have to do? You're going to, have to die to self because death brings life. You're going to die to self to truly live for Christ. And this life of Christ or living for Christ rather in Paul's life can be seen in different ways, especially as we look at this, this text this evening. It can be seen this way. Number one, it can be seen through his deeds, it be seen through his deeds. Now, you can see his life. As you look at the life of Paul, study the life of Paul, you can see his life revolved around Jesus and everything that he did. And the work that Paul would do, it revolved around Christ. Everywhere that he went. Paul would lift up the name of Jesus Christ. You can see this in his many missionary journeys, especially as you read in the book of Acts. He had three particular missionary journeys you can read of, but on those journeys, which would have taken part in around 15-year-ish time frame, you can see on these journeys that would span around 10,000 miles. It would span some 15,000 miles, rather, I'm sorry, 15,000 miles on foot. And that's just amazing. And on these journeys, Paul would endure such, such harsh treatment, hardness of people, many difficulties, many trials, many beatings, many, uh, many uh, much pain and stonings even in his life. He would endure ridicule. He would endure prison imprisonments. He would endure mockings. Look, he endured so much as he went about serving the Lord. But everywhere he went, that's what he did, was serve the Lord. And by the way, he didn't labor because people were so nice to him everywhere he went. Because the money he made, he didn't make any money and people were not so nice. But he did it. Why? Because for him to live is Christ. And to live that way, he had to die to self. To live that way, he had to, as he said to the Corinthian believers, he had to die daily. To serve God that way, you have to. You have to. I mean, who in our right mind would want to endure the, the cruel mockings and beatings he endured? Why? No one would want that. But we see the reason for that. The reason he points it out, even in the book of Philippians, he says, look, these things I've, I've endured have fallen out rather to the furnace of the gospel. Why? Because he wants to serve God that way, so the gospel go forward. Why? Because for him to live is, is Christ. And so he endured it. He endured it Why he died to self in order to live for Jesus. Now, like I said before, I like sports. I enjoy watching them, especially football and baseball and those kind of things. I enjoy them. But have you ever, have you ever stopped to see how these um, elite athletes train? I mean, it's amazing. To, to, to see how they actually work out, to, to see how they actually put their bodies through such, such a training is absolutely mind-boggling. It really is. It really is. I, I read a few folks and how they train. And uh, uh, Hussein Bolt, you know what I'm talking about, right? The fastest man on earth. Uh, how he trained was absolutely incredible. It, it said this that Hussein Bolt became the fastest man in the world through some of the hardest workouts in the world. Uh, Bolt once posted a video in which he had trained so hard, he started to throw up on the side of the track. And in an interview, it was said there have been times when he was on the ground in such Horrendous pain that he was crying and screaming out because of the pain just during training sessions. However, Bolt always completed his reps regardless of the pain and the suffering he would experience. Also, it is said that Bolt has suffered from scoliosis since childhood. And so he gears his workouts toward strengthening his back and his core and spends nearly 90 minutes a day in the gym alone. And Bolt also has a separate workout to build his muscles toward building or being capable of moving faster. It was all said and done. Listen, this is what he does. He puts in at least, at the very least, three hours a day just in training for this. Listen, to run. <laughs> just to run. He'll put his body through all of that treatment just to run fast. That's it. So for him to live is running. How about this one? I read about Evander Holyfield. And when he won the bronze medal in the lightweight division, In 1984 Summer Olympics at the age of 21, it was from there he completely ignored all the weight classes and used science to give him the competitive edge over the larger heavyweight fighters. But his opponents were typically taller. They fought about 10 pounds heavier and always had more of a reach advantage to him. But to overcome this, he hired people who would help him have three training sessions per day and an intense training program for him. And he never took a day off. His three workouts per day didn't even include, listen, didn't even include the boxing practice that he would endure. The program, the program that he had would lead him to win the heavyweight title eventually. And then he got his ear bit off by Tyson. But anyway, he put himself through all of those treatments, all right, and those trainings. Why? Just to be a champion in boxing. Uh, Phelps, we all know who Michael Phelps is, the Olympic swimmer who holds 28 total medals, with 23 of those medals being gold. But it says his workout routine, his practices would be across uh, uh, 23 days, but he had uh, 55 practices within those 23 days, plus strength workouts. And all of them, it says he would train in a thin air of at least 6,300 feet. So he'd practice up. In the mountains is where he practiced. But he did this pattern per week. Here's, a, here's his pattern for workouts, all right? He would do a three a day, three a day, two a day, three a day, three a day, two a day, and a day off. That's his, that would be his workout plan. And during this workout plan, it says his diet would match that. He would consume around 12,000 calories each day while training. That's a lot of food, all right? That's a lot of food. For the average individual, it's around 2,000 calories a day, so he is, he is doing what? Six times, is that right? Six times two is 12. So six times that amount. <laughs> so he would eat the, the six times the amount of the average individual each day just to match the workouts. These guys put themselves through such strenuous workout. Why? Just to be the best. Just to be the best. Again, Michael Jordan, who was the best basketball player in my opinion, he had uh, succeeded highly. Why? Because he would hit the gym at 8 a.m. every morning. And then he would head to the training facility at the Chicago Bulls training facility for an 11 a.m. practice for another two hours. And it even said that him and Scottie Pippen would stay after the gym for do one-on-one for hours, even after everybody else went home. So no, long, no wonder he is the best in that sport. Why? He put the time into it. That was what he lived, he lived for. He lived for that. That was, his, that was his life. So let me ask you, what is it that you live for? What is your life? If our life is money, then understand to die is to leave it all behind. If our life is fame, then listen, when we die is to be forgotten. If our life is power, then to die means to lose it all. The only way to, for us to say, for me to live is Christ and die as gain, is we're actually living it and dying to self. We have to die to self and live for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you again, as, as Paul had made his statement, let me ask you what yours is, what is your life? For Paul, his life is Christ. For me to live is Christ. You can see that's evidence, evident in his life. That that is his life through his number one deeds. And then number two, we see it through his desire, his desires. Look at verse twenty three. <clears throat> for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Understand at this moment, when he says he's in betwixt betwixt two, having desire to depart, he's talking about not departing from Philippi or not departing in this moment from prison. No, he's talking about departing from this life. Because understand, death was very much a reality for Paul, especially at this moment. Because remember, he's in a Roman prison. And at any moment, he could face the chopping block. Now, we know at this particular time, in the the historical context of Philippians, he wouldn't face death at this moment, but eventually, later on, eventually, in another prison sentence, he would be martyred for the cause of Christ. But for Paul, it would seem that every turn, it could be, death was around the corner. And in this particular spot, in this moment, in verse 23, it seems as if he is welcoming death. He says, I am in a strait betwixt two. Now, this word here, in a straight betwixt two, this means that Paul was pressed on every side. It would be like a cow going through a cattle squeeze and, uh, and, and, and trapping that cow to either uh, uh, give it uh, medicine or, or whatever, all right? But going into a cattle squeeze, that's the picture that Paul is trying to paint for his readers. That's where he was in a straight betwixt two. So he's pressed on every side, pressed between two alternative options for his life. And here they are. Should he die, he will be with Jesus, which would have been more better. More better is terrible English, but it's a good point, all right? But it would have been better for him to die. Or if he should stay, he'll be with these believers, which is better for them. So he's in a strait betwixt two. Now for the average individual uh, reading this scripture, they may think, they may think that, that Paul, what are you talking about? It being better for you to depart. Better for you to die. Do you not like living? Do you not like serving the Lord? Are you trying to escape the suffering you're enduring? Trying to escape your current circumstances of life? What do you mean to be far better? But understand something. This is not where the desire to depart necessarily comes from. Because of the exhaustion he's suffering. Because of the escape he's trying to have. Escape from the pain rather. He's not viewing death as an escape. No, he's viewing death as this. As the epitome of his desire to be with jesus the one he preached about taught about served loved and yes even seen it is that individual he wanted to be with christ that's what he wanted that was his desire jesus was paul's greatest desire in life and let me ask you this evening if we were put in this place this spot where paul is if we were here and death could be at any turn a soon reality. Could we say with Paul to depart from this life and go to the next is far better? Will we say that? Or would we be terrified of passing on? You know, many people would be terrified. And even Job says it this way about death. They are in the terrors of the shadow of death. And I believe those that may be terrified in the shadow of death are those that desire life now and not desire Jesus if you're living for Christ you want to be with him right if you're living for self there's a fear there here's what David said about death in Psalm 23 and verse 4 yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil why for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me David didn't fear death why because he's a man who's after God's own heart a man who had desire for the lord again let me ask you what is your greatest desire in life what is it for me to live as what what is what is that fill in the blank moment what is it what is your greatest desire for paul his greatest desire was jesus christ it was evident in his life but is it evident in ours every day not just sundays it's about every day can others see it in our life all right so we see paul he says, I die daily and lives for Christ. And it's evident in what he does. It's evident in his desire and it's evident in this, number three, in his decisions. So Paul, he was uh, ready and wanting. Listen, I believe he was wanting to go to heaven at this moment. And Paul, if he wanted to, listen, I believe he could have antagonized the cruel ruler, Nero. By the way, at the moment, he's in, in the palace in the prison here, okay? Uh, he could antagonize them. And that, may have, uh, that antagonizing may have expedited his uh, soon death, right? If he wanted to, if he really wanted to depart, that's what he could have done, but we don't see that here. Instead, he leaves this decision of departing up to the Lord. And we see the Lord wanted Paul to stay around just for a little bit longer. Look at verse 25, all right? And having this confidence, here's how Paul was confident, all right? Here's what he was confident in. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. For me, by my coming to you again, so as Paul was brought back down from, uh, brought back down to earth again from his heavenly desire, he took a fresh look at the situation he was currently in and the situation that, I mean, the churches no doubt were in. And realize there's still much work to be done. The churches that he'd helped to plant, they still needed some help. And some instruction, the believers needed much more instruction because coming down the line, he was going to write to the church of Galatia. What were they facing? They were facing some false teachers teaching legalism and that there's uh, uh, adding works to the finished work of Christ. He had to write to them. He was going to write to the car- about the carnality to the churches in Corinth. He was going to have to help the individuals and Christians who were suffering persecution because it was definitely on the rise and people are going to need his example to follow. And that's why he would even say, follow me as I follow Christ. Look, he was going to need to stay around a little bit longer. So his desire to leave this world, yes, it was real. The strong desire to leave was real. But the demand for Paul to stay was even more needful. And Paul was going to leave that complete decision up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he had long before made up his mind he was going to die to self and live for Christ. So the decisions we make, do we make them when do we make them by asking God first, or do we just make them because it's in our best interest? If we make decisions that's always for our best interest only, I can tell you who you're living for. And I can tell you it's not death to self. But if it's decisions that would be pleasing to god and obedience to his word then i would say those decisions could be evidence of a life that's living death to self and living for jesus christ i want to encourage you let the lord make those decisions for you die to self and live for god because god knows what we need he knows what we need not just in a physical way or in a monetary way. I'm talking about spiritually as well. He knows what we need. He knows what we need. He knows how we, how we can best grow. He knows what we need. So leaving the decisions up to him is best. Let the Lord decide and follow him. And Paul, that's exactly what he was going to do in his life because he learned early on. He learned early on, I die daily dying to self every day and living for Jesus is really the only way to have real life and to live real life especially, listen, especially for the believer so as believers do that just die to self daily and live for Jesus each and every day because that kind of death really brings a life that's enjoyable for the